as usual, we chat to Steve Vines. I have to admit that when I do the wheeling extravaganza, Steve, this is one of my highlights. I think we... Uh, well, that's very nice of you to, to say so. We always managed to come up. Well, Wifegate was one thing we chatted about over about a year. Was it a year and two, two, yes, two ago? Yes, That, of course, has all moved under the bridge. Big things happening, of course, over the past few weeks and weeks to come. Yes, I mean, um, you know, people talk about a long, hot summer and I don't think they're mistaken. Obviously, um, coming up immediately is the July 1st rally, mm. which I assume will be enormous. We've got the referendum underway, which um, so far has something like 750,000 people right, having voted in it. They are looking for 100,000, weren't they? They just, were looking for 100,000, mm. but let me just put those, that figure in perspective. In the last district council election, there was a voter turnout of 1.2 million. So this means that in this referendum, which has no official backing whatsoever and is the subject of enormous um, cyber attacks, you've got more than half the people, vote, much more than half the people who voted in this history election. If you want to compare it with the voter turnout in the 2012 LegCo election, which is always bigger than the district election, that was a voter turnout of 1.8 million. So you've got, roughly speaking, my maths is never brilliant, but I would say at least 40% of the people who turned out for that have voted in this referendum. So it's an enormous turnout. And honestly, the, 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 the turnout for that and the turnout for the July 1st rally, I think, is almost entirely based on response and sheer frustration and anger at what's being said by the recruiting sergeants for the democratic movement up mm. in Beijing. You know, when you tell people that, 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 you know, we offered you autonomy in Hong Kong, but don't you dare exercise it without our permission. When you have these people coming on the radio waves and saying, oh, you know, none of those people who voted through the internet have really voted, that really gets people angry <laughs> because sure. they know. You know, I, 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 was, I met somebody yesterday who is almost entirely non-political, but was so angered by this that he went out to vote. He then told his father, that, who, who apparently has never taken part in anything like this in his life, that, that there was somebody on the radio saying that all these votes that had been cast were false. And, and his father said, yeah, but I know lots of people who, who voted. Actually, I'm going to vote myself. I'm so annoyed by this. So go on, carry on, boys. Carry on. Make, make, your, make your case against it and, and, and boost up the numbers. Do you think that the adverse publicity prior to it also stirred the hornet's nest a little? Absolutely, mm. absolutely. I mean, it, 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 you, you know, this so-called white paper, I say it's so-called because it, it's a paper of very mysterious uh, legal provenance in, in the Hong Kong system. But this is the document produced by the White Council, which essentially said, you can have all the autonomy we give you. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, people really think they've been sold apart. So I think, and I thought before the referendum, and in a way I'm pleased to have been proved wrong, that it would be a real damp squib because I thought, well, people aren't going to bother with it. Mm. It's not really a, a substantive thing. People have bothered with it people who are not normally engaged in any kind of political activity are bothered with it. And as I say, I think this will also lead to an enormous turnout on Tuesday, mm. which is the July the 1st rally, which is a hodgepodge rally of discontent with the government. But hodgepodge discontent with the government is what we've got. Uh, I mean, it's staggering. The only thing that, that 
I've seen this week, which I thought was really unexpected and interesting, is somebody must finally have said to the chief executive before he went off on one of his many holidays, <laughs> instead he's had more holidays than any other chief executive in the history of Hong Kong. I know there's only been another two, but never mind. Um, but he's substantially taken more holidays. But before he went off on holiday, somebody finally said to him, you know, this slagging off of all these people who are involved in the democracy movement is only adding to their numbers. So he courageously, before he went off on holiday, said, you know that editorial in Global Times yeah, that, yes. that said, you know, that this is an illegal activity? Uh, well, actually it's not, you know, it is quite legal to take part in a referendum. It doesn't have an illegal standing, but this doesn't make it illegal to take part. Do you think he's trying to align himself more to the to the? I think he's here. finally mm. realised that, that, you know, this is all counterproductive. But it's also, of course, you know, tugging on the leash from up north. Yes, so. well, there's a big, big tug on the leash from mm. up north. I mean, at the beginning of the week, the dialogue was, and you saw it almost absurdly on Monday, when the stock market went down, they go, ah, stock market took a dive. That was because of Occupy Central. <laughs> Have you seen that video, by the way? There's this video doing the rounds at the moment. I can't remember which organisation uh, produced... Was it, are they called the Silent... Uh, oh, the Silent Majority? Yeah, something like that. Anyway, yes, they never do what it says on the tin. They you never shut see up. This. Have you not seen this video? I'm afraid not, oh, no. I'll tell you what, when we take our break for the news, I'll see if I can dig it out and right. just, just run the commentary for you, because it is absolutely astonishing. If I could equate it to... Uh, and, and I don't mean this in, in some sort of sensitive way, but just to try and get the picture across. If you remember during the Second World War when the Nazis were creating these cartoons and, yes. and, 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 things, to Goebbels. Uh, and things about the Jews and stuff yeah. like that, this, this video comes across in a very, very similar sort of way. Basically, it says that Occupy Central will kill this city. That's, yeah. that's the punchline at the end of it. I mean, this, this is from people who claim to love Hong Kong, mm. and they seem to think that, that, that Hong Kong is so frail and fragile that it can't sustain any kind of public demonstration. Although, in fact, the history of Hong Kong is it has sustained... I mean, it's, it's literally um, lived through famine and drought. It's lived through all sorts of terrible things, and Hong Kong will live through this. Mm -hmm. The question, of course, is to what level do the authorities want to raise the temperature? Now, all of these things that we've seen this week with this massive police training exercise which has been deliberately leaked so that everybody knows, oh, God, danger, you know. I mean, if the authorities really want to make this into a major violent confrontation, they're doing the right things. The other day, not only have they held this big and rather publicly um, uh, known exercise about Occupy Central, but the other day they, for example, denied Taiwanese students' visas to come to Hong Kong... All of these things, oh, to take part in the July 1st rally, all of these things, just get people's backs up. Now, of course, there's a big constituency of people who don't like the democracy movement in Hong Kong, and they will say, right on, you know, about, about, about time that a tough line was taken. But they're not the majority. That's right. They can go parading themselves around as the silent majority of Hong Kong. But the simple fact of the matter is, this referendum shows, opinion polls have shown, the overwhelming majority of people in Hong Kong aren't buying any of this. Because mm. the overwhelming majority of people in Hong Kong aren't stupid. Well, one thing that the mainland media <coughs> appear to be doing is to present Hong Kong people as a bunch of ungrateful gits that, uh, you know... They're stupid as well. That's stupid, that's you know, they want a cake and eat it and, and yeah. so on and so forth. Yeah, you know, if, if, as I say, if you want a good recruiting sergeant 
for the democracy movement goes straight to Beijing because there's many, many people who are obliging in this. And because they're so woefully ignorant of the circumstances on the ground here, mm. they, 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 they just say, well, you know, let's call this illegal. Because, of course, in China, when you want to hit somebody, you simply say, this is not legal. What you're doing is not legal. Protest is not legal. You go to a court. The, the, the outcome of the trial is completely foregone. I mean, you don't need to worry. First of all, these cases last you know, a couple of nanoseconds. But, you know, they think this can all be applied here where people are used to rule of law, where people actually understand the difference between lawful and unlawful. And they just, just apply it across the board to Hong Kong. And the more people see of this, the more they say, oh, my God, we've really got to do something. That, that There was um, a statement I saw today from Dennis Chung, who, who's one of the most senior barristers in Hong Kong, a pre previous president of the Law Society, no, sorry, not the Law Society, of the Bar Association, who said, you know, the, the thing about liberty is it's like virginity. Once you lose it, you just don't get it back again. And he's absolutely right mm. about that. And I think people understand that here. They, they know we have a high degree of liberty here. And they're very worried about it. And they, they just know that if it goes, it's gone. Do you think that this is actually, uh, we're embarking on a turning <coughs> point for the future of the territory? I think this is a very, very crucial year. Mm. And, and, you know, people often say that, you know, this is a crucial year, that's a crucial year. But, I mean, I just feel it in my bones. I've been here a long time. You, turning points are hard to identify. I mean, they're very easy to identify in retrospect. But there's a growing sense here that things are coming to a head. All these numbskulls who really want violent confrontation... I think are stupid and and are very dangerous. Mm, sure. But the vast majority of people are not involved in that sort of activity, but they are beginning to think that if we don't stand up now, that there'll be nowhere to stand. Well, the other thing that's, that's happening uh, as well, and I don't know really how mainland people are being affected by what they read and what they hear about Hong Kong, but uh, there's another movement called Take Back Sung Soi, you know, you know, they're referring to mainlanders as locusts yes, and they're, they're yes. posting all these pictures of them defecating in the street and what have you. So there's no love being lost between the you two. You see, now. this is the problem because um, I'm also worried about that because mm. I think that there's very bad level of personal relations and this is what we're talking about because, of course, it's influenced by politics but it manifests itself as confrontation against visitors from the mainland. This is also very dangerous. And again, you know, you, you wonder about the sheer ignorance and complacency of a government that thinks that they can solve that problem by the chief executive writing something on his blog or Carrie Lamb standing in front of microphones in, in the very building mm. we're speaking in um, and, and telling people not to do this. It's not going to happen. The reason why there's this level of hostility against mainland visitors emanates from the political atmosphere. If there was a better political atmosphere, if people didn't think that the government was so supine when it came to orders from up north, so unprepared to protect the autonomy of Hong Kong, people would say, oh yeah, these mainland visitors, they're a bit of a nuisance, but it's more than that, yeah, I know. They spend money. And they spend money. Mm. It's, it's quite true. If you go to some places in Causeway Bay, you mainly hear Putonghua being spoken. 
but you know, so what? Frankly, do you? I, I, you know, the fact that I can't get into a Christian Dior shop hasn't changed my life a lot <laughs> in the last week. One thing that is also being suggested, Steve, is that you know this this construction of the new towns and the new territories, the northeastern areas that they want to build. Uh, do you see it? sooner than later that eventually all us and Shenzhen will just become one big uh, special administrative region? Well, that's the fear that people mm. have, is that, you know, if, if, if you say that, that Hong Kong is part of one country, two systems, and then you say, well, the two systems bit, um, yeah, yeah, now let's just focus on the one country. I mean, that's entirely the fear. And, and you know what it is? If you're from the one system and you don't expect much of it, you're mm. not so worried. If you're from the two-system side of that, and you've been promised that you can keep what you have, mm. people are far more worried about losing what they have than losing what they never had in the first place. I know that sounds a bit convoluted, but I think it makes sense. The other thing that, because uh, we're looking at the time here, we will be taking a break for a big piece of music and uh, send with the news at uh, 10.30. Uh, but a lot of things, uh, aside from uh, the referendum, of course, which we talked about, Cloudflare uh, came to the rescue of Hong Kong, allegedly, over the big cyber attack. Their record was one of the biggest in the history of the internet. Well, we're talking about a cyber attack, as you say, which is, is either unprecedented or close to being unprecedented. It can't have been organised by a couple of teenagers sitting on the 19th floor of a public housing estate in Sham Shui Po. I, I, I think logic tells you this is a very highly organised attack on the referendum by, obviously, by people with political motive. I mean, mm. why else would they do it? You know, I mean, if there's an obvious explanation, don't go for the one that isn't obvious. Just stick with the obvious. So they say, but you can't prove it. Well, you know, boys... That's quite true. There is no there is no smoking gun. But I think one thing we know about cyber attacks is that there's very rarely a smoking gun. That's the whole point yes. about this thing. And as, as you say, I mean, there's this... Um, as I understand it, the company you're talking about is in fact a voluntary organisation right. that, that tries to protect the internet for free speech. Well, they sat and down they and they worked out involved. how to do it. That's yeah. right. And uh, apparently it made a big difference. Uh, there's another uh, organisation called Norse where you can actually watch uh, cyber attacks happening around the world as they happen live. And uh, a lot of the attacks into Hong Kong were, were actually domestic from within Hong Kong, so we're assuming there that there were botnets involved as well. So let's talk about that after our break, uh, Steve. Talking to Steve Vines, as we do, of course, on the Morning Brew on a Thursday. I'm going to take a little break for some musical interludes. Sam Butler with the news and the weather. And Steve is back in Timbers. Of course, at this time on a Thursday, we're halfway through our conversation with Steve Vines. Steve, before the break, uh, we were talking about uh, foreign intervention in the way of uh, Cloudflare. Uh, and as we agreed just before we had to take that break, you know, it was all voluntary. It wasn't something that they were being paid to do. Yeah, amazing. I mean, it, it's very interesting. Um, the new dialogue that we're hearing from the government and its supporters is that Hong Kong is uh, um, being threatened by these foreign forces who are determined to intervene in the internal affairs of Hong Kong. Um, as I mentioned to Phil last week, you didn't hear the same thing when these various chambers of commerce took out adverts um, blasting Occupy Central. Apparently that sort of foreign intervention is all right. But 
what actually is this foreign intervention that they're talking about? There's been an enormous storm, and I know that Eastweek, for example, mm. produced a special issue revealing that Jimmy Lai, the publisher of Apple Daily and Next magazine, had been... This is very sinister, this. Listeners, if you're going to be shocked, close your ears now. On a boat in Sai Kung. Yep, on a boat in Sai Kung for hours, not minutes, hours, with Paul Wolfowitz, oh. who... Oh, that's right. He doesn't actually hold any government position anyway. Came but in by submarine. Yeah, I, I think he might have come in, and this is really sinister, by aeroplane. <gasps> yep, it's possible. Anyway, Paul Wolfowitz, who, who, who was um, um, indeed in the Clinton administration... Oh, no, no, sorry, in the Bush administration. I always get these people mixed up. They've all got different names. Who can remember them But they them all do all? the same thing. But they, they all do the same thing. He was a... Um, working on the security side of the Bush administration. He is a very right-wing hawk within the American political system, and he had secret talks with Jimmy Lai on a boat. Well, uh, <laughs> first of all, as I say, he holds no government position whatsoever mm. in the United States. Um, the fact that he was on a boat probably does mean that the talks weren't public, but I've had secret talks on boats before. <laughs> I might actually have had a bottle of beer as well. On, no, no, I, sorry, I, I, I don't want to admit that in You're public. teetotal last time I was. <laughs> teetotal. Well, beer's not got alcohol in it, has it? No, are no. You, are you, are you, are you, it's pick me up. <laughs> I'll pick you up on that one very quickly. And I'm certain wine doesn't have any alcohol in it. But I have been on secret talks myself on mm. boats um, with the accompaniment of those particular things. But, I mean, what's the, the, the dialogue basically is, and this is why it's so insulting to people of Hong Kong, oh, they're all being manipulated by foreigners. These Hong Kongers couldn't do it themselves, you know. It's all these ghastly foreigners coming in and, and manipulating them and making them into Democrats. Well, Have you seen this petition that somebody set up after the white paper <coughs> came out where they wanted to petition the British government for letting down the Hong Kong people? Yeah. Did you yeah, see that one? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I can tell you I come from Britain, um, so I'm part of the foreign intervention, I suppose, even though I've lived here for three decades. I think the level of interest in Hong Kong in Britain can be described as zero. Um, it is true that, that Hong Kong was indeed um, a British colony. I don't think anybody's going to deny that. And that the conditions under which we're now living emanate in part from a treaty registered with the United Nations, the Joint Declaration. But, you know... Um, the daily lives of people in Britain are very, very untroubled by what's going on in Hong Kong. So, I'm, you know, if they want to sign a petition, good luck to them. If I were them, I wouldn't bother, frankly. Uh, C.Y. Lung, of course, it's been uh, school report time again. Uh, the has. headmaster's uh, lap and uh, yes. discussing this humongous piece that they printed in the South China yesterday. <laughs> have you seen it? Yes. It, 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 it was they, a they, cast of thousands must have been writing that. They, they bore for Hong Kong on yeah. these things. Well, I mean, this is his, his annual report to the boss. It, it is a bit like a school report. Please, sir, I've been very good. Honestly, I've done many things this year. Can I have a holiday, year. please? Can I have a holiday and can you give me a gold bohemia star? But anyway, um, our boy CY has, has, has written up to the bosses and said, you know, it's been a year of, of outstanding work. I've been working very, very hard, honest. I even managed to um, win medals for Hong Kong at the Asian Games. Yes, um, some people think it might have been the athletes who did it, but who knows? Apparently it was CY sending them up there that did it but but most of the report which is which makes me giggle just just a bit and i know this is very serious so i shouldn't giggle so we're all being serious now um sit up, pay it, attention. Sit up um is him saying well you know what 
basically um, I've solved housing, I've solved the economy. And when you actually read what he says, he's issued consultative papers on all these things. Well, if there is a prize in heaven for issuing consultative papers, I'm sure CY is in line for it. If there's a prize for achievement following the issue of consultative documents, ah, that may be another matter altogether. There's one part uh, where he talks about education, and this is an interesting one, because he says that nurturing the next uh, generation, that almost 70% of young people would have access to post-secondary education. Now, didn't I just read recently that there's a lot of upset with local people here about uh, people from up north coming and taking university places? Well, there's that. There's, um, there's the shocking, shocking, in my view, disregard of primary school education here even middle school education, because, of course, you know, there, there's very much a two- or three-tier system operating. You could say at the top of the tree were these very expensive private schools, most of which call themselves international. Then you've got the elite schools, and then you've got, oh, that's right, the rest. Mm. And every time I see a government official barking on about how much they care about education, I always because I happen to live in Sai Kung, I, I always glance at the school that they, they've just closed down in Ho Chung. Oh, yes. A perfectly, perfectly... And built the Hong Kong Academy. Well, they've built... A, that, 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 that's in the town. Mm. But I'm talking about this is a public school. Yep. Or, um, On the roundabout. Uh, yeah. Mm. And, you know, it's a perfectly functioning school. Why has it been closed down? Because it isn't having the very high level of class attendance that you have in all the let's be absolutely honest about all the lower grade schools in hong kong so you know the idea that the, the ordinary hong kong kids could go in a class with 20 to 30 people as opposed to 30 to 40 is apparently objectionable to the educational bureau so when the numbers fall instead of celebrating it and saying oh we can have smaller class sizes mm -hmm. and bigger achievements they go no nah, that's not really good enough for ordinary people they need to go in big classes because honestly it's a lot cheaper of course, there is another thing, too. It's a lovely site for developers, isn't it? Yes, I wonder why mm. you think that. I'm sure that's very unworthy. Know. But I do see a very large block of luxury um, apartments going up there any moment Well, look at Saikung. You mentioned Saikung. I mean, if you look everywhere around Saikung, they're building up. I mean, there's that ridiculous thing under the guise of a sports complex with overnight accommodation when those, those towers, as you sort of pass by uh, Pak, uh, Pak Kong. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, of course, the, you know, the occupancy that's going to be there in another five years with all the accommodation that they're building, how... It, people are going to get in and out but i, I think you know sai kung and, and people who don't live in sai kung please um, um <laughs> don't get too annoyed about harping on about it but but the problem with sai kung is it's really very pleasant mm. and we've got to put a stop to that it's quite sort of unspoiled in many ways it's very laid back and relaxed and you know honestly everywhere could be a new town everywhere could be shut in and have that sort of brutal ugliness that is characteristic of those places so people have in government obviously noticed that there's a little bit of, of hong kong that isn't ghastly and you know why shouldn't it be ghastly like everywhere else well, you mentioned people uh, not living in Saikung. Of course, a lot of people have visited Saikung at weekends and uh, sites like Asia Expat and Geo Expat. You know, the full of uh, people saying, you know, it's like Hotel California. Once you get in, you can't get out again. <laughs> well, it's true, particularly if you have to go in through the one road that mm. links Saikung to the Kowloon Peninsula, um, which, which they obstruct all the time. And mm. why shouldn't they? Because there's only one of them. <laughs> anyway, back to CY. Let's uh, finish off yeah. his report. So well, how, how many marks out of 10 would you give him, sir? 
Well, um, if I was up north, I would give him probably um, A for effort, because I think he does make an effort. Very cool. But E for achievement. I've got to be, you've got to be so cruel to be kind. See me in red. Yeah, <laughs> yes. See me later, boy. <laughs> we now, need to talk. There is something I'd like to touch on looking at the time. We've got about 10 minutes together, Steve. Uh, Antonio Papalo. Yeah, now this uh, the is. The Italian journo. Now, what's the story on this guy? This is very, very interesting. This is um, a, a gentleman, apparently a rather erratic gentleman, who, 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 who's of that school of sort of gonzo journalism where you you know you get your fingers dirty to to investigate what's going on anyway the fact of the matter was he he discovered an enormous um money laundering racket that was traveling between prague in the czech republic uh, and hong kong and the authorities in europe were completely uninterested and these were very dangerous investigations that he undertook because... Well, he went undercover, didn't he? He went undercover. The people who he's dealing with, you know, they're not, they're not uh, in the milky bar business. They're, well, he, they're in the chopping hands and chopping legs off business. Well, he basically turned himself into an alcoholic drug-taking Yes, uh, yes, and, and they found him very persuasive. Mm. Anyway, the fact of the matter is, and this is good for Hong Kong, mm. is that the Hong Kong authorities, because the money was lending up here, did take an interest in it. And there has now been a successful prosecution. I mean, this this has taken a long time. At least, uh, I think it started in, in, in 2012. But, but actually goes back further than that. I mean, the investigation did. Mm. Anyway, the fact of the matter is, it was a major victory for the law enforcement authorities in Hong Kong. They secured money laundering um, convictions against these people. And then you've got this man, Mr. Popolo, or Papolo, who who um, was basically told after that? Well, well thank you for that. Um, oh, oh, that's right. You're on your own now. No police protection, no form of assistance. So he's had to go very deeply underground. He can't earn a living anymore, of course, because it's just too dangerous for him. But people who do this in other quarters, I mean, they get they paid. They get police protection. Well, they get police protection. They also get uh, compensated for their efforts yes, as well. Yeah. I mean, this, this is all... nothing. Well, this all came to a head in May uh, last year, wasn't it, when they arrested the head of the ring? And then, of course, obviously, he's now been uh, exposed. Yes. Uh, and, 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 but, but the problem is that people involved with this money laundering racket haven't all been convicted, and some of them want revenge. Mm. And this man is in a very exposed position. Now, I only raise this because it is extraordinary how little publicity it's got in Hong Kong. And, you know, I mean, people can say rude things about journalists, and some of my best friends are journalists, so I wouldn't say it. But, But the fact is that this was one of those cases where somebody who is a journalist did an enormous service to law enforcement, and his reward is being told to, you know, have sex and multiply. Mm. Um, is he, he's not in the territory now, I assume. I, I assume not. Mm. I assume he's somewhere else. But obviously he doesn't want to make his whereabouts known because he's in a life-threatening situation. This isn't an exaggeration. Well, obviously, you know, where money is involved, there's usually a percentage. If you, you know, sort of bring uh, bring to boot you, crime at a profit, you, you often there's get often a, a reward. Well, yeah. apparently not in this case. But, I mean, all he's asking for is some kind of protection mm. so that he can go out and earn a living again. He's not actually asking for them to pay him any money. But, but the authorities have taken the view, yeah, you've served your purpose, bye-bye. So not only is this bad for this man, but it's very bad signal to anybody else 
who might want to be helping or might consider helping the law enforcement authorities if they feel that their reward will be to have their lives in danger. Well, that, in, in an indirect way, brings us to the Al Jazeera boys in, uh, in Cairo, doesn't it? Peter Gareste. And, I mean, this is just... I well, know the FCC's got a position on this. They well, I think, I, I think this is one thing that, regardless of who they are, media organisations across the world, and hopefully other people who are concerned about media freedom and, incidentally, are concerned about Egypt, will take very seriously. I mean, let's just remind ourselves what these people have been convicted of. And incidentally, in, in, there's three of them in jail for senten with sentences of seven years. And they've been put in jail for helping the Muslim Brotherhood, which is now a banned organisation in Egypt. Incidentally, it wasn't a banned organisation at the time they were reporting on their affairs. Peter Grester, who you mentioned, um, it is in fact... I mean, this is just horrible, but it's very bad... Um, unlike Mohammed Fahmi, who is the head of the Al Jazeera English Language Bureau in, 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 in Cairo, uh, was just a visiting hack. You know, I mean, I think his main patch has been East Africa rather than, mm. than the Middle East. Anyway, but, you know, he's, he's, he's a, a, a working Joe. He goes over there, he's got a job to do, and he does it. And he gets caught up with the new um, junta which is now running Egypt, albeit a junta, with, with electoral credentials after a fixed election, in which they were only people allowed to run. But <coughs> anyway, it says something mere about... Technicality. Mere technicality. It sh shows you something about mm. all, all elections aren't equal, in case you were wondering. Um, but anyway, but the fact of the matter is that they were doing their job. I think this is the point. Mm. And they were arrested for allegedly aiding and abetting the Muslim Brotherhood. What is so depressing about this, but you kind of inevitable, is the evidence produced was so, I mean, so laughable that the, the, the people who've seen it just looked at it and said, is that it? Is well, one of them got an extra two or three years just for picking up a spent shell case. Yes, read. yes, and, and keeping it. Um, but what does this say about journalism around the world? Is this going to make people work? It's a very high risk occupation. Mm. The in Philippines case, is another good in case, Well, in the Philippines, mm. you're likely to be shot in the streets. Mm. I mean, the, the level of fatalities in the Philippines is quite appalling. But, you know, just in case you've, anybody's missed the point, this is a very high risk occupation. Now, for the majority of people who are engaged in it, it isn't because. You know, they're, they're sitting in places where they're not likely to be arrested. And in fact, incidentally, on trial, just, just to point out the total absurdity of this trial, most of the people convicted weren't even in Egypt. And people like Sue Turton, uh, who, 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 who'd been there once, and the evidence against her was that she'd made a report. Boy, that's pretty damning. She got ten years. She didn't get seven years. Now, that was sentenced in absentia. She's, she's based in Doha... Um, I don't think she's going to go back to Egypt mm -hmm. if she has any sense, and I'm sure she does, to serve this appalling sentence. But, I mean, what it does show you is that when these oppressive regimes are lashing out to find people to blame for their problems, their lack of popularity, of course they focus, first of all, on the media. They focus on Al Jazeera in this case because it's a very, very influential um, news station in the Arab world, I, I think beyond, but particularly in the Arab world. I mean, it's weird that they um, they, they got obsessed about the English language side of Al Jazeera, which is the, 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 the little brother of the Arabic language side, mm. which is a much bigger and more powerful 
organisation. But anyway, the fact of the matter is, uh, and there were people from the Arabic side who who um, uh, who, who were put in jail by the by the junta in, in in Egypt. But anyway, just coming back to the main point. The main point being that that this is a high risk occupation. Dictatorial regimes do have a nasty tendency to focus on the media when they're in trouble. And I think, you know, we've got we've got intimations of it here. We've got Kevin Lau still in hospital mm. from a very, very savage uh, knife attack, the former editor of Ming Bao. We've got other journalists who are leaving the profession, or the trade as I would call it, because I don't believe it is a profession, in droves, because the pressure from up north is, you know, you behave, you toe the line, or take a walk. Now, we've got about a minute left, Steve. Uh, of course, we are on the uh, verge of the 1st of July, the march uh, coming up. How do you think it's going to be uh, taken this well, year? Well, I think that what will happen is that it will be enormous. It's always a bad thing to predict out to a turnout mm. for, 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 for political rallies, but I think this is more or less certain. What is interesting is that even before the rally's taking place, as I think we mentioned before the break, you know, the immigration authorities are trying to stop people from overseas, like these Taiwanese students, from coming to show their support. You've got the police have started to get very narky mm. about a giving massive, permission. Um, uh, exercise they conducted, wasn't it? Yesterday? Well, there was the massive exercise. Mm. No, I'm just talking about the July one rally. I mean, they've already told the organisers that, that even though I think most people do accept it's going to be very big. They're trying to confine the size of it, the use of the roadway, instead of saying, look, if it's really going to be big, let's get it done, get everybody marched. So there'll be a lot of frustration, a lot of bottlenecks. I wonder how that's all going to turn out. Well, we'll find out, of course, next week. Steve Vines, always a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much for your time. And that talks to us to 5 to 11...